Scripture reading this morning is in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. And if you're using one of the uh, Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 225. 1 Samuel, chapter 1, again on page 225 in the Pew Bibles. And we'll be reading chapter 1 in its entirety. Beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathium Zophium, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zoph, and the Prathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And they went back to their house in Ramah. Now Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and his wife went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. 
Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bowl, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for the privilege of reading it, for the privilege of studying it. I pray for my brother Toby as he comes this morning. Lord, fill him with your spirit. Guide him, Lord, and give him power as he proclaims your word that you might be glorified in the preaching of your word here this morning. Father, help us. Fill us with your spirit, prepare our hearts and minds to listen to your word, that you might be glorified in the way that we listen, and that we might be changed to be more like your son. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. I would remind you, being the first Sunday of the month, that at the end of the service, on the way out, there will be men there uh, collecting our monthly benevolence offering. Um, that goes to help those struggling, especially in our congregation with financial needs. I hope that you will give to that. Also, if you haven't had the opportunity to meet Chris and Naomi, will you just raise your hand right there? No more speeches, Chris. Just raise your hand. Uh, I hope you'll take time to introduce yourself, and Lord willing, in uh, the time that is coming, uh, you'll get to know him better as well. Nine months from now, we as a nation will answer a question, a question regarding who the next president of our nation will be. We do this every four years, and when leadership is up for grabs, uncertainty hangs in the air. When, the, when whatever leader is there, will the nation be strong? Will it be stable? Will the economy be healthy? Will morality and justice be upheld? Will there be peace? As we open the pages of 1 Samuel, these same kinds of questions about leadership are in the air. It is an unstable time in Israelite history. No longer is Moses around. No longer is Joshua around. The nation has been through a terrible time of idolatry and darkness, rebellion, and a series of leaders that God raised up called judges. It was a terribly dark and unstable time. But in the midst of this darkness that is summed up by the last verse in Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's a leadership vacuum, and moral relativism is just rampant. But in the midst of that darkness, there was one bright spot 
a beautiful story of love and redemption and God's faithfulness. And that is what we know as the book of Ruth. Now, it begins quite terribly as Ruth is widowed. But in God's kindness, she marries again a, name, a man named Boaz. And at the end, there is a note of hope. So that the book ends with this short genealogy, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, if you're not familiar with the, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you may be familiar with that name, right? David. I mean, March Madness will be upon us soon, and no doubt some commentator will be talking about some 16 seed versus a 1 seed as a real story of David and Goliath. That's this David that he's talking about. David and Goliath fame. If you know your Bible even better, you know the infamy of David as David and Bathsheba David. But David comes and brings stability and peace to the nation of Israel. And interestingly, David's descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, brings peace and stability to the world. That's where things are going. David plays a significant role in the history of God's people. But I mean, if you were paying attention, as Kurt read, you know that David is nowhere on the scene yet. Instead, we find Hannah and her baby, Samuel. And Samuel is used by God to help establish the monarchy in Israel by anointing Saul first and then his replacement, David. And the whole thing begins with the story of Samuel's birth. And if you read the Bible for any amount of time, you shouldn't be surprised that a story of significance begins with a birth. Lots of stories begins with births. I mean, your story did too, but I just mean stories in the Bible that have great significance. And oftentimes, have you noticed, it's not even just birth stories, it's unlikely birth stories with unlikely mothers. And here's Hannah, a barren, miserable, harassed, humiliated, hopeless woman, but God opens her womb. And through this first chapter, we learn that God accomplishes His work through impotent people. God accomplishes His power, powerful work through impotent people. Let's think about that. And I want us to think about it just by looking at four scenes, all right? Just think with me. Scene one opens and shows us that Hannah is broken. Hannah is broken. You can imagine the sun comes up, much like the glorious sunrise we had this morning. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. Hannah awakens with the dawn, and she goes about to fix breakfast for her husband, El Elkanah. And from the other room, she hears the clamoring, she hears the laughter, she hears the playfulness of children. But they're not her children, they're Peninnah's children, Elkanah's other wife. But, she says to herself, a man needs children. Elkanah needs children. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and he especially needs sons, sons who will carry on the family name and carry on the family work. And Hannah can't meet that need. She's tried. 
She, she's lost count of how many pregnancy tests she's taken and thrown away and wept over. She knows God's answer has always been the same. No. Her womb is closed. She knows that God's commanded us to be fruitful and to multiply, and she thinks, I, I can't even obey that one command. I can't do what the Lord wants of me. So it's no surprise that Elkanah has this other wife. I mean, you remember Abraham, right? He had the other woman, Hagar, to give him a son. And you remember Jacob. He had three other women to give him sons when, there, when, when Sarah was barren, and then Rachel was barren. So here's Elkanah who has Peninnah, who's some kind of baby-making factory. He would give portions, verse 4, to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. All her sons and daughters. If she has any more, she'll likely have a reality TV show. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's happening here. And as a good man, Elkanah provides for them all, but he especially provides for Hannah. He has compassion on her. Her closed womb hasn't closed his heart. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And even though Hannah has Elkanah's loyalty, Peninnah's given him a legacy. Children. And Peninnah knows it. And she makes sure Hannah never forgets it. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Peninnah posts pictures on Instagram of the kids dressed and ready to head to Shiloh for worship, and she makes sure that she tags Hannah. She posts interesting articles on Facebook about motherhood and the joys of it, and she tags Hannah. There's a knock on Hannah's bedroom door, and it's Peninnah, and she says, now you're not going to need all of that luggage, right, Hannah? I mean, it's just you. It's always been just you. It'll probably always be just you. And one of the little ones comes and tugs on Peninnah's skirt and says, Mommy, doesn't she want children? Oh, I'm sure she wants them, dear. She just can't have them. She's not blessed like Mommy. But this time in Shiloh, it's just too much. Her body's broken. Her spirit's broken. The tears won't stop. Food has lost its appeal. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? I mean, Elkanah wants to help, but he can't. She's broken. Now step out of the story for just a moment. Think about Hannah's brokenness. Her brokenness, she's broken by her barrenness. 
She lives in a society where motherhood is practically a given, where it's a mark of your worth, where it is a status symbol, where everybody's in this club. But she's also broken by Penina and her provocation. She's broken, and the fact of the matter is she cannot fix it. She can't do anything about it. She cannot open her own womb. She cannot give life to a baby. She is broken. Isn't it compelling, friends, that when we are at the end of our rope, when we're out of ideas, we're in the midst of our inability, God delights to work at that very moment. We can't see any way forward. And he can't see anything that can stop him. Life in this cursed world often has us at the end of our ropes, doesn't it? So that we're out of ideas, out of options, and we know we can't fix it ourselves. It, it happens in, for many people in the struggle against sin. It happens in the sufferings of life. It happens in the fight to stay faithful in honoring the Lord at work, at home, at school. And God brings us, the, the end of the rope exists so that we know that we can't fix ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? That's why the end of the rope exists. God brings us to the end of our rope and beyond to brokenness to remind us that what? Without Him, we can do nothing. Nothing. One man wrote, when God's people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then He loves to stretch forth His hand from heaven. Now, maybe you're not a Christian. I wonder if you would think that there is some immovable barrier that will keep you from the grace and forgiveness that God gives. Well, there is, and there isn't. You see, we all have sinned against God. We have broken His law. The Bible says we are dead in sin. We are as dead as Hannah's womb, and we can't do anything about it. But... With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Friend, you should know sin is no immovable barrier to God. God's grace is greater than our sin. You can be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. And in Hannah's brokenness, her impotence, she knows that God will work. She believes words that haven't even been written yet, that will one day be written down, and we read them as Psalm 121.1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, scene two. Hannah prays. Why am I not enough for you? Hannah's question, or Elkanah's question, was well intentioned, but it was the last straw. Hannah's past her limit. She needs a place to pray, so she excuses herself from the dinner table and she gets away from the crowd and she gets to the Lord. But this is no ordinary prayer. I mean, she is deeply distressed. 
verse 10. Her soul tastes the bitterness of losing children even though she doesn't have any. And she can't wash out the taste from her soul no matter how many tears she cries. A songwriter a couple of decades ago and his wife tasted that same bitterness and he sang these words. We thought you'd be here by now, your mother and I. We're praying through our tears that somehow we might hear your sweet cry. Have we waited too long? It's getting harder to be strong. Is there something we've done wrong? That's Hannah's distress. So, as I said, she excuses herself. She runs to the Lord. Her knees are shaking. Her body's trembling. Tears are flowing. Lips are moving. Prayers ascending. She prays as her forefathers did when they were in slavery and afflicted and feeling forgotten with no hope. And you remember, God answered their prayer. I have surely seen the affliction of my people and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. That's the God Hannah needs. She is trapped in the slavery and oppression of infertility, and she wants nothing more than freedom, freedom to go to her own land flowing with milk and honey that we call motherhood. That's what she wants. She wants to go there, and she knows God alone gives life to dead wombs, and all life that He gives ultimately belongs to Him. So in light of that, she prays this, O Lord of hosts, if You will indeed look on the affliction of Your servant and remember me and not forget Your servant, but will give to Your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. A Nazarite vow, a vow setting this boy apart fully to God's service. Give me a child, Lord, and I'll give him to you. I don't want him for my sake only, but for yours. Now, normally prayers are audible. But have you ever wept bitterly and tried to put a sentence together? Have you ever been weeping bitterly and your voice wouldn't even come out? It's like your lips were moving, but nothing's coming out. Your voice breaks with every word. So here's Hannah. Her lips are moving, but only God hears. She looks drunk to me. That was the thought of Eli, a priest standing by. He had seen a lot of people desecrate the tabernacle in a festival like this, and he's just thinking, here we go again. How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. 
Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She hasn't been pouring herself too much to drink. She's been pouring her heart out to the Lord. And a sting of conviction settles into Eli's heart for making such an assumption, and then his tune changes. Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. Now, pause the story again. Too many times we who live here under the New Covenant think those Old Testament people, all they had was some kind of formal, external, you know, going through the motions relationship with God. They just had all the forms. Well, that's not true. I mean, look at Hannah. Long before Peter told us to cast our anxieties on Him because He cares for us, they did it. And Hannah's doing it. She's doing it with great liberty and passion and tears because she knows the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. She knows you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Friend, consider your approach to private prayer. Do you think that somehow you need to keep it together with a certain structure and a certain formality as you go to the Lord if you're ever to be heard? Now, certainly we must never forget that we are praying to the God of the universe, to the Holy One. But we must also remember, shouldn't we, that this God is our Father. And you can fall into the arms of your Father and weep and pour out your heart, and He will take note of each tear. He sees, He knows, and He will act. Scene three, the Lord remembered. Having heard Eli's blessing, she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away, went her way, and ate, and her face was no longer sad. The tear stains are still on her cheek, you know, but her appetite's back, and so is her smile. There's a new hopefulness that has come alive in her. She has prayed for God to show His power, to make the dead womb come to life, and to give a child so that she can receive that child and then give that child back, and that God might be glorified by all who would hear it. God loves to hear prayers like that. He loves to hear prayers that don't consider Him some kind of cosmic genie. He loves to hear prayers that recognize that He can do anything He wants to do and that He will do what is best. Well, one more day of worship before hitting the back road back to Ramah. In some ways, it'll be business as usual, but it doesn't take long for something to happen. Something changes, something glorious, something wonderful. And Elkanah knew his wife, his, Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. The Lord remembered her. The Lord 
who owes her nothing but freely commits himself to his people. The Lord, whose mercy knows no bounds, who is compassionate and merciful and whose steadfast love endures forever. The Lord who spoke and everything came into existence. The Lord who speaks and mountains tremble. The Lord remembered. Now God hasn't lost track of her. That's not what it means. And God didn't just listen to her. God determines to act for her. That's how God remembers. He hears. He chooses. He acts. He moves. He works. The Lord remembered her. Now, in the past, God remembered His covenant. God remembered Noah and pushed back the floodwaters. God remembered Abraham and saved his nephew Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Hannah's no Noah. She's no Abraham. She's just part of the people of God. She's just, just a part, a nameless part, and yet God knows her name. God remembered her personally, compassionately, glorious, with steadfast love that never ceases. God remembered her. And as Hannah cradles her son with tears of joy and not bitterness anymore, she names him Samuel, testifying to God's greatness and God's goodness. I have asked for him from the Lord. Another pause. Dear Christian, do not miss how sweet it is to be remembered by the Lord. How amazing is that? When I consider the heavens, the stars, and the moon that you've put in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? You, you really leave the 99 to go after the one? To know that you are not some nameless part of the innumerable masses that we call the church. That God knows you. He hears you. He hasn't forgotten you. And He can be trusted. Can a woman forget her nursing child? And she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. You see, Hannah's more likely to forget Samuel, the miracle baby, than God is to forget Hannah. In fact... The Lord answers exceedingly abundantly more than Hannah could ask or imagine. In the very next chapter, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. We're going to have to start talking about all her sons and daughters now because of what the Lord has done. 
Now, if you are new to Christianity, or you are just simply not a Christian, how does this God compare with the God that you've been walking around with in your mind? There are so many misconceptions about God. Does this God, does the God of 1 Samuel 1 challenge the notions that you have had about God to this point? Does this God pique your interest? Don't you think you ought to get to know who this God is? You see, it is true. This God remembers. He remembers our sin. He punishes it. He doesn't just know about it in the remembering. He determines to act, and He will punish sin. He punishes all those who cling to their sin forever, and He punishes them in hell. That is true, but it's also true that this God remembers us in our low estate. He does not sit up on His lofty throne and say, we better get it together if we're going to make it, because He knows we'll never get it together, which means we'll never make it. And there is something more glorious for God to do than simply to punish all of humanity. God has determined in His love and in His grace not to stay perched, but to condescend and to come, and in the person of Jesus Christ to take on flesh to live a life of remembering God where we forgot Him, to die in our place, to have our sin remembered against Him. That's what happens at the cross. Your sin, my sin is remembered against Jesus so that when God looks at us, He says, I will remember their sin no more because it has been fully and finally dealt with. And when we turn from our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, believing that He died for us, believing that He rose again, committing ourselves to follow Him, He will no longer punish. He will no longer chide. He will only have the mercy of a father who knows that his children are but weak dust. If you don't know this God through Jesus Christ, you need to know this God today. Don't let another day go without knowing this God through Jesus Christ. Plead with Him for mercy, that by His grace you might see your own impotence and His omnipotence to change you, to save you, to make you new. Scene four. God's people worship. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. 
so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So for the next three years or so, a new routine develops. Hannah nurses young Samuel. She cares for him. She tells him stories through the day. She sings to him as she rocks him to sleep at night. She hears his first words. She sees his first steps. She teaches him how to use a spoon. She teaches him how to pray to the God who made him until he's weaned. And then the day comes. It's time to go to Shiloh. This time, not to pray for a son, but to dedicate that son to the Lord. And while her mother's heart will miss that boy, you know she will, her heart rejoices to worship the Lord. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. Well, there he is, Eli, the man who mistook her for a drunk woman. You remember Eli? He changed his tune, and he blessed her, and he sent her on her way almost four years ago. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. She prays, I asked for this child. The Lord granted me the child I asked for. Now what I asked for I give to the Lord, so that what I asked for is the Lord's. testimony. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And just as Hannah has come to worship, Eli sees what God has done, hears Hannah's testimony about how God has answered, and as the curtain closes on this story, he joins her, and he worshiped the Lord there. The story begins with barrenness and lament, and the story ends with exaltation and praise. God accomplishes His powerful work through impotent people. What a story, isn't it? I mean, when we hear this story, we ought to rejoice. We ought to join Eli and Hannah here and worship the Lord. We ought to sing, great is His faithfulness. O God, our Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Morning by morning, 
new mercies. This is our God. This is the God we trust. This is the God we serve. He is compassionate in our suffering. He is present when we believe we're alone. He is omnipotent when we are clearly impotent. And this God will remind us what He demonstrated in Hannah's life. This God would remind us what He demonstrates over and over again in the lives of His people. This God will demonstrate something that is true even today for each one of us, no matter where we are in our lives, and that is this. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, God accomplishes His powerful work in impotent people, then He accomplishes His work through impotent people. We are the impotent ones, brothers and sisters. We can do nothing without Him. We can't honor Him in our jobs. We can't raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can't serve Him in the church. We can't evangelize the world. We can't take the gospel to the ends of the street or the ends of the earth. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. But, as one said it, if power is the goal, weakness is an advantage. And don't you want for we as a congregation to be a powerful people for the Lord? It begins here. It begins with the prayer of Jehoshaphat on a battlefield surrounded by armies. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Are your eyes on the Lord? Do you know your own impotence? Do you seek to do in your own energy what you can accomplish apart from His? It is time to turn away from that and to remember that God only accomplishes His powerful work in impotent people. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow before You, thankful for the way Your Word grabs hold of our hearts, thankful for its truthfulness, thankful that we can rely on it and learn from it. We are thankful for the demonstration of Your power in Hannah's life. We are thankful to serve a God who calls the dead to life, who calls dead wombs to carry babies and give life, who calls people dead in their sin to have life through Jesus Christ, who will one day call the dead from their graves to have glorified everlasting life in the new heavens and new earth. You are God over all of life. Help us to rightly see ourselves as helpless without You. Help us to humbly rely on You, and we pray You'll do Your powerful work in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.